Be sure and count that moth in the attendance. <clears throat> Just a couple of words of um, maybe introduction before we read some scripture. Um, all of the years that I've been in the ministry have often fielded questions about um, end times, what kind of things will occur, and so that isn't a new question, but it does seem that in the, the days we've been living in, the last year or so, <clears throat> I've gotten a much higher number of questions regarding end times, mark of the beast, second coming, tribulation, rapture, all those kinds of things. So in a, what I think is a spectacular attempt that is <laughs> crazy, um, I'm going to settle all those, those questions and answer all those issues. Um, Today, and we'll take several Sundays to do it, but um, today we'll just look at a couple of initial things, mostly, again, prompted by questions that I've received in the tumultuous days we've been passing through. Um, <clears throat> and I think what... I want to try not to jump ahead of myself um, here... But let me just give you some thoughts here. First of all, this whole doctrine, the doctrine of end times, is touched on in Scripture in several specific places. There's some in Ezekiel. There's some in the book of Daniel. Um, there's some in Isaiah. In the New Testament, of course, you have specifically the longest section, which we'll, we will read here in a moment, is called the Olivet Discourse. It's when Jesus was, it was after um, Palm Sunday, <clears throat> his cleansing of the temple and his confrontation with Sadducees and the Pharisees that he and his disciples went out of the city to the Mount of Olives and looking down on the city and the wall and the temple and the magnificence of all of it, the disciples began telling him how great it was as they, they were remarking on what a wonderful scene this is. And Jesus ruined it by saying, all that you're looking at there's coming a day when there will not be one stone left on top of another. It'll all be wiped away. Well, the disciples then responded and said, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming again? Paul then, of course, talks about specifically first and second Thessalonians talks about the second coming, the rapture, um, what happens. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about what happens to the living Christians who are alive when Jesus returns. Um, we're told that the resurrection of the, of the dead righteous occurs 
then those who are living Christians will be changed from a mortal body into a glorified body. And then, of course, we have the book of Revelation. And a lot of things in the book of Revelation. Trying to bring all of those things together is... I'm not going to say impossible, but it's really close. So let me give you a couple of maybe rules. One, anytime you encounter someone who is dogmatic, I mean, it's settled. They know exactly when everything's going to happen, who the Antichrist is, and so forth. The minute you find anyone who tells you that, Stop listening to anything they say, including what time it might be, okay? It is impossible to be certain about, and here's why I want to make a clear distinction. It is not impossible to be distinct and certain about the events themselves that the Bible says will take place. Will there be a second coming? Absolutely. Deny that and you deny the word of God. Will there be a rapture of the saints? Yes, deny that and you deny basic Christianity. Will there be a final great judgment? Yes. Deny that, you deny Christianity. Will there be a resurrection of the dead, both righteous and wicked, including those kind of bugs will be gone. <laughs> Mosquitoes, flies, all of them. Um, will there be a resurrection? Yes. Deny that, and you deny Christianity. Okay? Now, the events we can be certain of, the order, the timing, the when, you cannot be certain, period. First of all, it's because so much of the language spelling out the timing and the description and the order is, is figurative. It's not literal. Secondly, if all of these books and videos and teachings and teachers about end times are accurate, it flies in the face of one thing that is certain, and that is from Jesus, from Paul, from John in Revelation, it will be sudden, surprising, without warning one last thing on the people who are certain about the order of end times they are better and more knowledgeable than Jesus Jesus said that no man knows the day nor the hour that means specifically no man knows the day nor the hour, not 
even the Son, meaning Him, but only my Father. All right? Now, day and hour is very specific. It doesn't mean the general times. Jesus gave an illustration to the Pharisees. He said when it's when the sky is red and lowering in the morning, you know you're going to have rain. When it's clear and the wind blows softly from the south, you know it's going to be heat. Then he said, you fools, you can judge the weather, but you can't judge the signs of the times. So Jesus knows himself and tells us, the generality will sense something is about to occur. But the day and the hour, you can't. And there's no end. It doesn't mean, doesn't, hasn't affected down through 2,000 years of church history. All the people have, pre, have predicted with certainty actual dates. The, and I won't get into all, just to mention one that was, there's been several come out since. But the, I remember getting a free copy, which altered my entire life in all my beliefs. 90 or 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. Okay. Um, there's been similar books published since. Don't pay attention to them. Now, um, so we, we cannot be dogmatic. We can be dogmatic about the events, but not the order in which they occur and the timing and all that. Um, the last thing that I s touched on, much of the language, and this is, please understand me here, this is maybe a slippery slope. But let's face it. There's slippery slopes in our lives every day, and they're including, including biblically. By that I mean this. Much of the language is not literal. It's figurative. So far, maybe everybody kind of nods your head, yeah, that's fine. Which is literal? Which is figurative? There's where the argument comes in. I think... A beast coming out of the sea and a beast, another beast right after that coming out of the earth. And a dragon that gives power to the first beast and the second beast tells everybody to worship the first beast. And then the second beast makes an image, an idol representing the first beast, uh, beast and makes people kneel down to it. I'm saying that's figurative. <laughs> but there are plenty of people who say, nope, it's literal. So what we have to do is, um, I guess I would, I would conclude this rambulation of an introduction with this thought. Again, you cannot, you cannot disagree with Scripture on the events themselves, but we have to be flexible with others and differing opinions on the timing and the order. And the timing and order 
is not essential, meaning it's not a heaven or hell doctrine. You deny the judgment, the second coming of Christ, that's heaven or hell. You're, design, you're denying the core. But to say when it occurs, after what, how long is the tribulation, when's the rapture, how many judgments are there? You know, there are people think there's a lot of different judgments. There's a great white throne judgment, and there's, I don't know. That won't send you to hell or get you into heaven, okay? But the fundamental events that we've been told will happen, I must believe. So, it's kind of a difficult subject. I don't know um, how to shrink the amount of scripture that I want to read. So we'll just start. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking to the disciples as I described earlier. We'll begin with 1 and read through 31. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered to them, This is significant, I think. What's the first word out of his mouth? See that no one misleads you. So this is a subject where there's much misleading opinions. Some are important. Some are less important. The important things is what he's referring to. Don't be deceived. Four, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe him. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, just to muddy the water a little more, even in those 31 verses, it's clear part of it's talking about Judea, which I think is fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It fits that perfectly. So some of it is near future that Jesus is speaking of, 40 years. Other is clearly at the end. <laughs> Do you understand? <laughs> how difficult it can be um, to try to accurately understand all this. One more thing. Let me cut the rug out from underneath myself on preaching about this for a couple Sundays. If you die first, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. And the people who will be present at the second coming, I don't know how many there will be, but the vast, 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 vast majority of all humans will have perished. So most people will, will die and they won't have to be looking for signs. What are the signs of his coming? They're dead. Now, they're not unconscious. They're going to be either with the Lord or not with the Lord. And it won't matter. To those who are lost, it's too late. To the Christians in heaven, to be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. Who cares? <laughs> In a sense, and I'm not saying things about Scripture that it doesn't matter. But if I'm dead and my spirit is with Christ in heaven, I'm not really worked up too much about which comes first, the tribulation. Is it seven years? Is it 40 years? Is it when's the rapture? Is it before the tribulation or after the I don't care. <laughs> so I just cut the reason <laughs> for preaching on this um, out from under my feet. Here's what we want to look at then. In, there's two divisions of the doctrine called eschatology. That's what we'll be talking about. Eschatology just means study of or knowledge of last things. Okay? There are two 
streams or at least two prongs to the doctrine of eschatology. Number one is called general. This is really, this is hard to remember. General eschatology, which is end of the world, affecting the whole world. The other is individual eschatology. We'll look at general eschatology first. Individual eschatology has to do with the state of the dead before resurrection. In other words, every person who has died and is in the grave today, but their spirit is either in torment or with Christ. What's their state? What will be their condition when the resurrection occurs? At what point uh, do they stand before the judgment? What are they going to be judged on? Those are things that affect people now. And we all have loved ones and acquaintances and friends who are in the grave. So actually, individual eschatology is a little more important, I think, than general eschatology. The vast majority of us will experience individual eschatology. Only those alive, when this wraps up, will have to deal with general eschatology. Now, so, here's, here's the first couple things I want to just look at. And this is a bit out of order. But one of the most frequent questions I've gotten lately and I'm not um, impugning anyone's intelligence, okay? But a lot of people wonder, as they have before, is being forced to take a vaccine mark of the beast? The mark of the beast has been imagined to be 500 million things in the last 2,000 years, okay? I'm exaggerating slightly. That's figurative language, okay? There's no way to count how many times the beast has been identified as so-and-so or, or whatever. The mark has been identified as all kinds of things. The number 666, which is supposed to be the name of the beast, has you know, in I don't know if they still do this, but not that many decades ago, high-rise buildings wouldn't have hotels. They wouldn't have a room that was 666 because of the, <laughs> the thinking of, and, and it says, the Bible says it's a mystery. And a mystery is closed. I can't figure it out. Maybe until the last moment. But here's, here's where we need to, what we need to remember about anything that people say is the mark of the beast. First of all, and foremost, it is only moral. It's only moral. Everywhere the beast is spoken of and a mark put on the foreheads or the right hands of people who receive the mark of the beast everywhere. It's only spoken of specifically in Revelation. But everywhere it's spoken of, 
receiving a mark is always linked with worshiping the beast. And the beast is described as speaking all kinds of blasphemous words against God and waging war with the saints, okay? Seeking to draw them away from the faith, seeking to destroy them, seeking to distort the preaching of the gospel. Any way possible to deceive, to distort, to destroy. The mark of the beast then can't be something that lacks a moral, spiritual response. And that response is two-sided. One, it is swearing allegiance to and acknowledging and worshiping the beast. To do that, the other side of that coin is to renounce Christ, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. It's to be utterly anti-God. If those requirements aren't attached to a vaccine, or I remember um, going back long enough, um, I was, well, I bet I was, I was probably still in my 20s pastoring, which I knew then everything. And I, I knew more then than I know today. Um, I got a call from, I, I just worried, young mother in my church. And she had just received in the mail a credit card from, I think it was U.S. Bank. Okay? And it had one of those, you know, those hologram, you kind of turn it and it looks different, things in the corner. And I think it was even, if I remember right, it might have been a bird or something. I don't know what. I, I just remember starting to get those. And somehow, the internet wasn't, Al Gore had not even invented it yet. So, it was the Christian bookstore packed with a lot of nonsense, where she had bought this book and discovered that these credit cards were, that's a secret mark of the beast. And so, you put that in your wallet, and you know, it's the mark of the beast. Well, first of all, it's not tattooed on your forehead, nor your right hand. It's just a credit card. You're not falling down and worshiping the beast and renouncing Jesus and defying God and speaking blasphemous things against God. It's just a credit card. <laughs> okay? Now, I don't question the technology that we may have will aid and abet keeping those, it says, who don't receive the mark from buying or selling. The technology we have can be used for anything good and anything bad. I remember, too, now this, I'm getting, you know, i got to be careful here. Um, I am old enough to remember the first frequent appearance of TVs in the house. Okay? Um, 
I, I knew whole churches and whole denominations that referred to it. Some of the slang was, it's the devil box. Well, today it's a little easier to believe it's the devil box, okay? Um, but there were people, I mean, pulpit-pounding sermons against television. Has television been a great advance? Yeah. Has it been a great advance for the use of evil? Yeah. But the technology is not, it's all moral. It's in the hands of who uses it. So I believe that there will be technological advances that we now can easily see that will be used to stop Christians, those who won't worship the beast, from buying, selling, carrying on business, and so forth. I don't question that. But the technology itself is not the problem. Okay? So, <clears throat> the mark of the beast, as far as anybody I know knows, hasn't occurred yet. We don't know what it is. It's not told. And so the bad thing is, in, in all of our free time till we figure it out, people ought to just be living as Christians and being a light to their neighbors and their fellow workers and their loved ones and their families to live for Jesus now instead of abandoning that, being a light, and hunkering down and trying to figure out the difference, which I can't figure out, but it's spoken of a lot, between the 69th week and the 70th week in the book of Daniel. Okay? And I'm, I'm being, if I am being at all a bit sarcastic, it's not toward scripture, it's toward the people that spend all their times hunkered down in a darkened room somewhere trying to figure out the difference between the 69th week and the 70th week. What? And my neighbors are going to hell. And my kids are a mess. Do you understand what I mean? So, that's all we can get in today. <laughs> but we will we'll look, look specifically next week at the, the general eschatology, the second coming, the signs accompanying it, and the signs preceding it. Those are somewhat clear, though we still don't know the actual timing. Now, let's totally, we'll, we'll end 